Oh, Andrea Tessman, may I take you on a trip? You may, Kirk Buckner. I would like to take you, well, first, we gotta go to the when. And that when is September 20th, 1969. A very groovy place. A place of contrast, really. A place that historians looked at as very polarizing and very different. And as Artie Johnson said, very interesting. No one, no one under the age of 40 will understand what the hell I just did. I barely understand it, and I'm 48. But! <laughs> I think I do that. That's very interesting. Nice. I have no idea, really. Love it. Artie Johnson, also regular guest star in The Love Boat. Somehow I'll have to work that into a full, a full show of something. Don't know how, don't know when, but I'll come up with it. If you were going to the movies around this time, you might have seen the number one picture in the nation, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. About two married couples that seem to, well, do each other. Okay. Yeah, uh, that was, I guess, probably the first mainstream swinging film that ever existed. But a week later, The Brady Bunch would debut. So again, like I said, very interesting times afoot here at the Circle, okay? But if you were listening to the radio, <laughs> and this is where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to Riverdale, home of the Archies, who had a number one hit, Sugar Sugar. The only thing is, the Archies don't actually exist, which makes this the first ever number one song by cartoons. Although, in theory, uh, we have Alvin in the Chipmunks. No, we did one already. Yeah, but he, he credit, but was credited as David Seville. Oh, true. And David Seville true. did exist as the pseudonym of Rob blah 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 blah. I forgot his mm, name. I forgot his true. name. So technically, it was a fake band, but in reality, it wasn't that fake because it still had a, a real face behind it. It did. And it All made, right. So I'll give you that. The Archies, well, first off, all these things going back to Archie, you know what? I never got Archie. I know that they always had this like forever. They still have it now. Uh, Netflix, I don't know if that's the parent show for this or at all. Have you watched Riverdale? Oh, it ruined my childhood. <laughs> so, so, or at least a few innocent memories of my childhood. Yeah, they've sort of taken a lot of sort of innocence and, and changed it up a bit. Actually, this is also the first time that Archie didn't have a tic-tac-toe sign on his head. I never got Archie. I, I, I never got it. Uh, I think every little kid gets those Archie books, and then at some point you realize, you know, this shit isn't funny. <laughs> I liked Archie when I was a kid, and then I kind of stopped reading it because, well, yeah, it wasn't that funny. And it was the same. I mean, the, the shows, the comics have been coming out for 60 years now, and they're still the same plot for every single one of them. You know, and I, like, I, I kind of realized something, too, as we're, we're going back to this. Uh, but before I go with that, I, I have a new F. Mary Kill for you. Oh, God. What now? Well, Archie. <laughs> okay. Reggie or Jughead. Pick, picture yourself as a teen girl in Riverdale. Well, Reggie's just kind of an ass no matter what, so we'll kill him. Um, well, Archie's, well, I'd marry Jughead, because he seems like the least douchey of them all. 
<laughs> um, kind of a coin toss of the other two. Like, uh, Reggie, in theory, is probably better looking. And Archie's just so whiny and wishy-washy. Like, oh, should I date the pretty blonde? Oh, should I date the pretty brunette? Oh, I'm going to cheat on both of them. So we'll kill Archie. And we'll, yeah, we'll Wait, fuck you Reggie okay. and marry Jughead. Yeah, we'll go with that. Didn't they make uh, Jughead asexual or something? Yeah. All right, then I'll marry Jughead and cheat on him. That's fine. Yeah, I guess he wouldn't care. Or, you know, we'll just have an open marriage. <laughs> you know, he might be cool with that. I think all he ever wanted to do was have hamburgers, and there's something kind of weird about the, you know, that crown on his head. But, you know, I realized that this was sort of the female version of Twilight, in a way. How do you say that? I'm I, I curious that, where you're going with this. Okay, I, I see from many countries away and many time zones away, the question marks popping above your head. That, that was my mm-hmm. question mark, seriously. In, in true comedic fashion, or true uh, comic fashion. Yes. Little bubble question marks. And, and here's how. Twilight featured an eh-looking girl who was the, the object of affection for two studs. Archie's an mm-hmm. eh-looking okay. guy who's the object of affection for two hotties. Yeah, I never got that one either. I mean, and also, too, buddy, pick Veronica. It's it's a no-brainer. She's got the money. You just have to, like, write a bit of that out. You're going to go broke a bit, but if you hang in there, hang in Sloopy, hang in Sloopy, hang on, you got, you, you, you know, you got you got the paper at the end. I'm telling you, that's, it's the easy choice. Yeah, I always thought that he should end up with Betty, though, because she actually seemed like she was nice. Yeah, and and then then what happens to her? Then Betty, middle aged Betty's going to be just just a complete mess to deal with because she just she's going to go through that mid that middle midlife crisis. No, Veronica's going to get nicer as she gets older. Betty's just going to realize that she just sort of like gave it all up for somebody who was five when she was a ten. And then she's not a 10 anymore. And then, my God, what happens? But look at the tangent I took us out here in Riverdale. You're supposed to pull me back. <laughs> I was starting to think that, and then I was like, well, let's see where this goes. All right, let's go back to the Archies, the fake band, mm-hmm. and not Riverdale. But not Riverdale, no, not that show. Uh, although I do have to like give that one another shot. I kind of tapped out after episode two because I just realized I just didn't care. But uh, anywho, of the TV show, I, I don't yeah. know. Like it's it's all about like murder, and it takes it in a very very dark direction. I don't know. And there's mm. there's just some things I don't need to go into a dark direction, and I think they're one of them. Like. Jughead's dad is, like, a member of a gang, and he's trying to make do right with his construction company, but, like, the South Side Servants are a biker gang that's, like, taken over, and they are dealing drugs, and it's really dark. And then they're trying to solve a kid's disappearance slash murder. Yeah. It's weird. It is. And and it's pandering to teenagers. Well, that's true, too, because... Today's teenagers needs that that type of thing. The car, the comics just aren't aren't that anymore. But this this comic, this uh, the cartoon was actually a little bit before my time. I don't really remember watching a lot of this. I don't uh, on reruns, 
when, when I was a kid. So watching some of the old cartoons was a little new for me. The song definitely is not new to me. Uh, Sugar Sugar, I think, really everybody knows it. And even if they don't know it, they'll, they'll know that beat. This might have one of the best hooks. And it's got two of them. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I was like, why did this go to number one? It honestly, it, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons, but it's that it's, it's the hook. It's the, it's the chorus and it's, or it's even the first line. But as soon as someone goes sugar, you just go do, 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 do. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the catchiest thing ever. Um, and it sticks in your head. And, you know, you write a grocery list and you put sugar on it and your spouse is probably going to come over and write beside it, ah, honey, honey. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's, it sticks there, like honey with bees in it. And if anyone was going to come up with it, I mean, it, you know it would have to be Don Kirshner, the mastermind behind the monkeys. Well, he didn't come up with the monkeys, but he was asked to put them together in the songs. And what does he do next? I mean, it makes perfect sense because the monkeys, it had to be hard. For, eventually, we're going to talk about the monkeys for sure. I, I know they went to number one. But the monkeys, uh, for, for those not aware, were four people who were put together to be in a TV band, although all four of them could actually perform, could actually sing. Four talented people that were not allowed to do anything other than sing backing tracks, but then they would go out and perform perfectly. Uh-huh. And because of it, they were disrespected by the mainstream rock and roll community. Also because of it, they kind of rebelled, as they would, as young 20-somethings would do, feeling that they were puppets of the machine. Okay, so what does Kirshner do? Well, the cartoons aren't going to fight back now, are they? Uh-huh. And... I think what also interested me, I, I knew that they had other hits under this Archie's banner. I didn't know that Sugar Sugar was not the first hit. No, the first number one, but not the first hit. Yeah, well, yeah, so like it was the third single release, so the first one, the only one that I was aware of, like Bang Shalang, and I'm not going to go into that. But again, it's harmless. It's That's exactly what this core, the genre they call bubblegum, which is... Let's be honest. It's been this has been around forever. It's just music designed for your tweens, early teens, and harmless. Where okay, if they're listening to that, hey, that's that that's fine and it's catchy. And oh my god, it's so catchy! I'm humming along too. We still have it now. We don't sure. call it bubblegum anymore. But I mean, the the bulk of the non-explicit pop music out there falls directly into this category of mm-hmm. mindless, happy, just need to do sing along and, and don't really think about anything else. Which is great. So, you know, we need that. We need just like we need introspective music. And that's something as I'm learning, as I'm getting older, I was that mopey teen and that snobby uh, 20, 30-year-old music snob who would just say, no, I, I, I thumb my nose at this. Meanwhile, if that comes on the radio or, or, or it's on, I'm just going, hoping no one's going to catch me doing it. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm past 40, I don't give a shit what anyone thinks, which is kind of dangerous, I suppose. But here we are. And, and Kirshner put together 
quite an quite a good crew. I, I did. Here's another thing I didn't know. Uh, fellow Canadian Andy Kim was a co-writer on this. Yeah, I didn't realize who Andy Kim was until I started looking into this. Oh, okay. Yeah, good Canadian. Um, and I also didn't realize that he was wrote and sang Rock Me Gently. I don't know yeah. why. I always thought Rock Me Gently was Roy Orbison. Hmm. It just sounds like something Roy Orbison would sing. Yeah, incidentally, he covered a lot of Roy Orbison songs. I was looking at his singles list today. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Andy Kim's, uh, actually, here's another thing I actually learned today, because he did have that number one number one hit in, I believe it was 74, that you just mentioned, Rock Me Gently, which is, again, a cute little bubblegum song, although technically bubblegum wasn't, they, they classify that as 68 to 72, but whatever, it's a bubblegum, bubblegum tune. It's a lot of fun. And despite what that name is, it's actually short for Yuakim, and he's Lebanese. I just learned today, I thought all this mm-hmm. time, that he was uh, part part Asian, part Korean, I guess, with that last name. And when I looked at him, I was like, oh, yeah, well, I guess is, uh, that that other half was a, of, a, of a swarthy type, like of a clinger type. And it turns <laughs> out, it's all he clinger. He totally looks like clinger. He's got that Lebanese look for sure. Like... And that was the first thing I saw. I, I saw Kim, and I assumed, yeah, um, some sort of Korean background. But then uh, I looked at him like, he looks Eastern. And then I was like, oh, yeah, Lebanese. That totally mm. makes sense. Yeah, that's, well, sometimes I just get fooled by names easily. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a side oh, trip. Oh, we all do. Yeah, I'm going to take a side trip. That's actually why my beautiful Asian wife considered taking my last name. Only because she just wanted to mess up people in interviews mm-hmm. when they're interviewing for Pauline Buckner. Like, and I said, like, is that the only reason you want to take my last name? Yeah. Okay, then don't take my name. Just keep yours. <laughs> and she did. Uh, yeah, there. I um, I worked with a Jeff Lee that I until before I met him. Like when I just saw his name on things, I assumed he was Japanese or Chinese. I guess. Um, but yeah, no, he was like very white dude. Yeah. yeah right. it's, 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 it's sort anyway, of interesting. Let's, yeah. get, let's get back to the Archie. Yeah. It's the Archie. So, uh, so with all so, these session musicians, him. yeah, I couldn't even find who the session oh. musicians were on this. Could you? Oh, I did. It was on the Wikipedia page, but I can't remember. I know that there were two of them credited with hand claps. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the um, the singer is pretty well known. I'm blanking on his oh, name. Oh, Ron Dante. Yeah, exactly. So, you know what I learned through all of this? My key takeaway from this whole week of, well, two days of looking at the Archies is everybody changed their name. Everybody changed their name at that point in time. Nobody went with their birth name. They all went with something else, Jeff Berry is neither Jeff nor Barry by birth. Um, yeah, none of them. Andy Kim is not Andy Kim. Um, what, who did you just say? What's his name? Um, Andy Uakim. But then also la- later on, he also actually had a... Dante. Well, he also had that. He also had a later career when, when he decided to just release some songs under Barry Longfellow. <laughs> yes. Which, okay. And then he just made it Longfellow. Like... All right, at that point, you're in your 40s and 50s and you're making dick jokes? Come on, man. 
I think he was even older than that because he was born in the forties. Oh, yeah, I guess so. And I think he, his his Longfellow release was like the two thousands. <laughs> okay, that's even worse. <laughs> so there's there's uh, Andy Kim, and then there is uh, Jeff Barry, who I totally did not realize is behind like a billion girl band songs with his wife. It's it's just the, I think this the sixties were just like the best era of just pop construction. These music factories. Although although maybe every decade sort of had that. It just sort of shifted to boy bands and whatnot. But there just is something kind of pure, and I don't want to say innocent because that's not quite accurate, but really pure about this. And and I've said this before on on this show. The construction of a a near-perfect pop song is so hard, even though the formula is pretty much the same. Uh-huh. It's so hard to do. There is. Did you watch that? It was a Canadian show a couple of years ago that basically, the launch, I think they called it, where they they started the show with an with an audition of three or four different. Acts. Heard of it? Didn't watch it. Usually, into, what? Yeah, and then they so they then took that so they they took the winner based on the song that they had in mind. They took the person that they thought would best fit it. And then they just constructed a pop song and launched it, and all within this one-hour episode. Obviously, it happened over a few days, and it really opened. I watched a couple of episodes just because they were on, um, and it was weird seeing this and then hearing on the radio these songs being played on top forty stations, like over and over again. And I was like, all of it's a construct. It's all a massive machine. Which also makes it that much more interesting than when we come across... I mean, our first episode was Stars on 45. What was the first little sample they did? Or ripoff with Sugar Sugar in that, in that sample, Stars on 45. Oh, yeah. We've come full circle here, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. And like that guy, all he did was just sort of like rip off a bunch of other stuff. Like, it, which I don't want to say no effort. I mean, there was certainly a lot of effort to doing what he did. Saying that, it's, I think it, the most effort in what he did was finding studio musicians that sounded just like the Beatles. To be honest, that's true. That's true. I mean, some pro- some of these processes take like no time at all, and then some just are this so arduous process. With his wife, you said you were talking about innocence in the era of of this music, right? So Jeff Berry, with his wife, co-wrote "Do a Diddy Diddy." Do to do Ron Ron. Mm-hmm. Okay, you think they could do some words? Um, Be my baby, Chapel of Love, River Deep, Mountain High. Um, he also wrote Leader of the Pack, Sugar Sugar. Like all of these cute, innocent for the most part. Like Leader of the Pack is car crash ballads. Yep. But that was the era for that. Um, they're all pretty, pretty innocent. Um. Easy to listen to escapism. And this, again, and yeah, and again, all the juxtaposed in the summer of, well, is this the summer of love? No, I guess it's 67. But the summer of Woodstock, was that before or after this? I think this was released before, but I don't know, I can't remember when it actually 
it, it was months before it hit number one because yeah. they tried and tried to get radio play and when the DJs listened to it, they liked it, but then when they were told it was a cartoon band, they no longer liked it. Right. And the, and the cartoon itself, I think that was in its second year of existence. Uh, this this specifically just called The Archie Show. I think it was The Archie Show, I believe. Or was it just The Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it was The Archie Show. Yeah. And there was two videos that we could find. Well, I'm assuming you found the same two I did. One with, with Dante. Uh, just doing his thing. Uh, I don't think he actually played on, like played played the guitar, although he could. Uh, as I found in other videos uh, of him actually sort of performing this live, he still and he's got to be in his late seventies, and he still has the same pitch and everything. It's incredible. However, he's. Um, I saw the one of him mm-hmm. young playing singing it, and yeah. they had. Split yeah, that's, with him yeah, that's pretending split to play three different instruments, right? Which which he probably could. I mean, like the like the playing the drums that he was playing there wasn't that hard. But so there was that video, and then there was the official cartoon one where, well, Jughead doesn't. As we were talking before we went on air, Jughead didn't even appear to the end, and he's the drummer. Well, where the hell were you during this talent show, you motherfucker? I wondered that, and then when I saw him, I wondered why. So as as they're playing, first Reggie disappears. So they're, it's like a talent show at a at a high school carnival festival thing. So Betty and Veronica leave Sabrina to man the kissing booth, and they go off to play in the band. And then as the band is playing, first Reggie takes off to go kiss Sabrina, and of course Sabrina's a witch, so he turns into a frog, and <laughs> then she turns him back again. Um, and then a minute later, Archie goes off to kiss. Sabrina, and he turns into what looks like the trick rabbit, um, and then she turns him back again, and then the dog that's the conductor goes to play to kiss Sabrina, and he turns into a clown, and then she turns him back again, and then at the end, Jughead appears, so I'm like, A, where the heck was Jughead? B... Why didn't Jughead... I want to know what Jughead would have turned into. And C, how was the band still playing and singing while Reggie and Archie were off making out with Sabrina? And D, I think I changed my pick, Sabrina. Although I don't know... I don't... I'd have to be tested after. (laughs) I forgot about her. Um, So... And then in the midst of all of this, there's uh, Betty and Veronica having little dance solos completely out of time with the music. But also and the same Kirk, dance. I think you and I both tried to do that dance yeah. successfully. Well, it, it, they also, when they danced, it was the exact same dance. I, it must have exactly been real hard the for the animators. And, huh? you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's surprising. They have the same body and the same dance. <laughs> Well, no wonder it was so hard the for Archie to pick. Same face shape. We just repainted one with dark hair. That's why it was so yeah. hard for Archie to pick. Maybe that's why it's so hard for Archie to pick. Yeah, I think you're right there. They're like exactly the same person. Jesus. But so then you go with the rich one. It's even easier. <laughs> Damn. 
So what else do we have to say about this song? Well, with Dante, uh, and kudos to him. I mean, like, he just seems, I went on his website, he seems like a, like a happy guy. Like, this is what I'm known for. Yeah, I'm the sugar, sugar guy. Uh, he did more cartoon work as the lead singer at the Chan Clan. The uh, One that's sort of historically significant cartoon, because I believe it was the first... Car, like mainstream cartoon like for the Saturday morning lineup to feature an all Asian cast. I think it was all voiced by white people, but you know, you know, you, t- you, t- you take your, your progression where you get it. Uh-huh. And, and, but you know, he had a voice that still, he's, he, I don't, I'm not gonna say he's a voice of a generation. He's not, but he, he's got a timestamp. He's got a number one hit. Turned out like this was the biggest hit of 1969, but it is one of the most enduring hits ever. It's impressive. Yep, it is. Um, I think Andy Kim was quoted in one article saying he could have never written anything again and he could have lived off of Sugar Sugar. Well, that's good. All right, so then he got he got his money because I've got to figure Kirshner, he must have kept so much more of it. And then Kirshner went on to produce something that I vaguely remember as a little kid uh, the Don Kirshner rock concerts where it was like right up there with like Burt Sugarman's Midnight Special just the just these old late night later night rock rock concert shows some were better than others uh, the ones where they're not lip syncing obviously are much better and that's sometimes that's that's actually a lot of fun just going back and finding a little YouTube loop or playlist of all that and you know they they all sort of made it. But Kirshner, you ever hear him talk as as the intro for Don Kirshner's rock concert? I no, I have not. And I go uh, since everyone comes here for my impressions. That they do, Kirk. That, that they, they do. do. And up next, we're going to have this red hot band. You may know them from their current hit. Come and get your love. Here's Redbone. Come get your love. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. That sounds about as boring as it gets. Well, that, that was sort of the intro. I, I was apparently, and I read this, but I didn't actually see it. Uh, when Paul Schaefer was not just part of the band in Saturday Night Live, but a minor, uh, minor repertoire player, he did uh, an impression of Don Kirshner. <laughs> which is even just amazing thinking of Paul Schaefer as doing anything kind of. Speaking of Paul Schaefer, I think Andy Kim sat in on the orchestra with Paul Schaefer when he was doing it at one point. Uh, very well could have. I found a clip of Ron Dante doing that. Maybe it was Ron Dante that I'm thinking of. They're all blending together in my mind. Although when um, I, when I you did. you were talking about money. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure at the end of the day. Ron Dante owns the rights to Sugar Sugar. Oh, okay. Don't ask me how, but I think, if I'm recalling the articles correctly, that, yeah, he's the one. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of royalties being paid out to all sorts of people, but apparently he's the one who actually has the rights to it. Did he buy it later, you think? Or do you remember? Oh, or maybe because it's, He's the one singing it. He might have had it in his contract that he has the rights. 
Well, kudos to him if he does. That's, that'd be great. So I, I guess I, I should have sent you this one when I found it this afternoon, but you know me, I'm never exactly prepared for this sort of thing. But it's kind of that lovely banter that we have that makes it work, My this unpreparedness. So when I found that one of Dante singing in 2019, and I, I'm pretty sure he's wearing a toupee. I know the drummer's wearing a toupee, but then he had sort of like two girls back there. All the comments were about the one blonde, which, okay. Not, nothing on his toupee. Other comments about how Dante still sounds great, but none on his leather pants. Here's a PSA, kids. If you're of a certain age... Actually, no. Let's strike that. If you're male, don't wear leather pants. Don't <laughs> ever wear them. It doesn't work. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> like, would you ever date a guy who, like, if, you know, let's, let's say you meet you meet some guy there in beautiful Vancouver Island, and you know, and uh, it's, it's it's your first date, and he comes to pick you up, and he's wearing leather pants. You go, are, are you, nope. Yeah, that's what I thought. It gets yeah no that's a hard no. I'm not gonna like not be friends with you if you wear leather pants, but uh, that that drops you about forty eight points out of thirty in the attractiveness scale. Yeah, those leather pants meaning you're not getting into your pants. Precisely. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that works for anybody. Not even pro wrestlers or '80s rockers. It might work for 80s rockers. Yeah, but in the 80s, maybe not now. I mean, not for me personally, but I think leather pants did work very well for 80s rockers. Now, now I'm trying to picture Vince Neil trying to, like, he's drunk one day. He's in his, he'd be, I guess, in his early 50s, uh-huh. and he's just, he's a little bit more uh, doughy than he used to be. I could just sort of, like, picture him sort of like, I wonder if I can still fit into these. But, like, it's got to get sweaty under there. It can't be great. I would just, think just maybe so. Maybe not. I don't, especially if you go commando. <laughs> Gross. How <laughs> do you clean that? Well, I mean, just, but no, I'm reeling you back in here. We're not going down this disturbing pathway that no good can come of this. <laughs> Back to the Archies. Well, the Archies remain forever. Uh, there was there's always going to be cartoon after cartoon. Little kids are going to keep buying those comic books. It's been reimagined. I imagine somewhat well, from what I understand. Uh, the streaming numbers for Riverdale are pretty good. I don't know if it's been re renewed. But I think that the the renewal, like the the Netflix Riverdale is geared towards the kids that have grown out of the Archie comics mm-hmm. but have a bit of a, a teenage angst and want to look at them in a new, new light, perhaps. Well, not only that. Rather than the bubblegum. It's like going from the Archies to Nirvana. Ooh. If we're going to put this in a musical perspective. Or Hole. How about let's go with Hole? A little Courtney Love. Oh, wow. It's dark. It, it, it is. And 10 years from now, there's going to be another type of reboot on a Riverdale property. Be it another. Didn't I'm they do sure it? They will. Yeah, because they've even done something with Sabrina. There'll be another attempt at Josie and the Pussycats. 
Because that last movie, with, which I did think was perfectly cast, but, but it just missed. In terms of like the three pussycats, I thought Tara Reid at that point was perfect for Melody. Uh, Rosario Dawson, who wasn't really anybody then, but I mean, like she was great. And Evan was not Evan Rachel Wood. Crap. I don't know. I ever saw that. Oh yeah. You got to see that. It's, it's, it's not terrible. It's not good, but yeah. Josie and the Pussycats. Damn it. Why can't I remember the damn name? She was the same. This is going to bother me. So I got to get this name. Who was the girl (laughs) from, uh, she's all that. Rachel Lee Cook. Mm. Okay. I knew it was one with three names. There we go. So, yeah, Riverdale, uh, that, that whole little town, it'll always exist. It may, it's a little bit different now because of what's happened with that murder mystery. But it's still worth going to. So, go ahead. The, one, the reboot that I really liked was the late 90s Sabrina the Teenage Witch with Melissa Joan Hart. That would have been like it's like right up your alley, huh? Like that age, because you would have been what? Uh, t- I would have been in my late teens, yeah. and it was just mindless, silly fun. Like it was kind of childish, but it was also kind of cute, and um, and it really, to me, it fit the the feel of the comic books. I thought I thought uh, those two ants were kind of cute, and they're milfy kind well, of way. Both of both of those actresses, I really like. I've seen them; in, they're in other things. They they play a a loving, not old, jaudy aunt, but like a, a reasonably like good aunt. The kind of aunt that I think I am at my forty year old age. That's kind of what I look at them as. Do you, Do you have uh, nieces and nephews? I have two nephews. Okay. I've met they my are excellent children, um, and I love them. I, I've met m- my niece and nephew once each. Oh, that sucks. Eh. Being an aunt's fun. What are you gonna do? I get to do all the stuff with them, and then give them back when they start to be assholes. <laughs> nice. So I've got one tangent that you made me think of when you brought up Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the TV show. So I was reading something by Jaleel White in an interview he did. All right. Little Urkel. Yeah, Little Urkel. Yeah, so from Family Matters. Did you watch that show? Of course. Okay. So he did an interview where he was talking about how he knew as a as an actor coming up uh, on Family Matters that, you know, he was treated differently because he was black compared to the other uh, teen actors. And he was using Fred Savage as an example, you know, from Wonder Years. And that's what I'm reading. I'm like, okay. It's, uh, it sucks that he felt that way, but... I, I totally believe that. But then he went on to say this. Uh-huh. So I, I'm going to take a little umbrage with Mr. White here. He said, but you know, I never got to go to the Emmys or even be a presenter. And they said, and when I asked if I could sort of, because with the Emmys, you've got to submit, you got to submit something for uh, consideration. You can actually be like the best dramatic actor. Uh, I'll just sort of use this as like Vi- Viola Davis, for example. I don't know if she won for how to get away with murder. I don't pay attention to the Emmys anymore. But she, prob- she probably did, and if she didn't, you know, either it's her choice whether she wants to submit a performance. So, 
Jaleel says how he was talked out of submitting it because there's just no point. And then he said, well, it must have been... And then he kind of inferred it was because he's black. It's like, no, because you were fucking Urkel! Do you really think you <laughs> were going to win an Emmy Award playing Urkel? Like, what's, what were you going to submit? The episode where you said, did I do that? <laughs> yeah, you uh, you kind of shot yourself in the foot with that one. No, and you know what? Kudos to him because playing he's, Urkel probably probably kept his career back a lot. But, but he also probably made a ton of money doing it. So probably you both. Know, he might have. Yeah, he might probably made more money honestly playing Urkel without getting a whole lot of roles after than he would have if he had. Uh, yeah, but he never stopped like, working. So, like, he's always doing other, he's always, he's been working. He looks nothing like what he used to. Nothing like what so, he used to. So, he pretty much had the best of both worlds, really. I mean, you can see, if he smiles the right way, you can see Urkel in his smile. But he, uh, I mean, it, it's a character, and it's the clothing, and it's the glasses that make the nerd as every single um, beauty makeover romantic comedy has told us um, doesn't matter that you're nerdy you might be beautiful underneath wait, wait that's happened to that happened to Urkel when he became Stefan Urkel and that happened to Rachel Lee Cook when she and she's all that huh, I tied it all together <laughs> in a nice little bow aha yes we could tie it back to pretty in pink too ooh it's true. But anyways, there's a billion of these uh, of these shows that all prove that that yeah. Okay, then I got one. I got one if final. You're looking underneath, and we put some nerdy clothes on you. We can create a storyline around how someone's going to make a bet that they can't make the nerdy person pretty, and then they make them pretty. Yeah, I just need someone to do that for me, and then wait a minute, I'm already married. I don't need this. <laughs> I almost have an F Mary kill for you on Pretty in Pink. Oh, I don't know that I'll know it because I don't. I'm not like that familiar with it. Oh, well, then never mind. It, it is. It is. A, I can Google it quickly. All right. Well, John Cryer, but you have to pick John Cryer then as Ducky, James Spader, okay, or Andrew McCarthy. Well, I mean, I've always had a thing for James Spader. Um. I mean, John Cryer, he's weird-looking now. He was pretty weird-looking then. <laughs> uh, do you know who was supposed to be Ducky? No. Random fact. Was um, Iron Man. Um, Robert Downey? Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. was supposed to be Iron... Uh, he was Iron Man. He was supposed to be Ducky, apparently, in the original... Uh, the original... Thinks whatever Pretty impact. idea, but then they uh, they went with with John Cryer. Um, so sorry, it was John Cryer, Andrew McCarthy, mm-hmm. or James Spader. Mm-hmm. Um, the '80s versions, though. I don't know. It's a tough call. Let's go with Mary James Spader. Um, fuck Andrew McCarthy and kill John Cryer. Hmm. Actually, interestingly enough, if you think about it, 
Well, who do you think has got the most money? It's not Andrew McCarthy. But you got to figure uh, John Cryer's got that massive two and a half men money. I think so. So he's got to have the most. James Spader's got to be closing in with that blacklist money. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But I would think John Cryer because two and a half men was wildly successful. But then yes. they kind of jumped the shark. My, my last comment before we before I ask what we're doing next week is I don't I generally don't weep when men sort of experience their male pattern baldness but I did with James Spader <laughs> it was just the most beautiful hair ever that is true yes that's it that's all I got alright <laughs> what do we got next week so, well we are going to jump forward in time mm-hmm. to approximately 19 years ago in 1992 okay and so, oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. <laughs> I almost picked this. She must be one of those rock guys, girlfriends. <laughs> Who even understands those rock guys? Like, the only way they like her is because she looks like a total prostitute. Um, so, Brett, <laughs> I have a question for you. Yeah. Kirk, do you like big butts? Well, I generally only dated Asians, so I guess no. <laughs> well, we are going to answer that question next week with some Sir Mix-a-Lot. Well, I already answered that question. Oh. Well, you know what? We'll try to answer it for the rest of the population, then. Okay. We'll, we'll do that. In our normal roundabout talking about shit we don't understand. Absolutely. Um... I, I think this could be, it, it could be a gong show. <laughs> I, I'm hoping for it. I love it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I almost picked that one too for this week. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. I figured we, we had to change the era a bit and that's where I went. I was looking at 90s and I was like looking at power ballads and then for some reason... Mr. Mix-a-Lot seems like the thing to it do. kind of sticks out, and for us, well, well, we'll talk more about it next week. Hey, it kind of sticks right. out like a big butt. <laughs> 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 All right, with that, I can speak for Andrea, but she'll speak for herself when we both say stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, everyone.